0: I want to bring you a message this morning out of Romans chapter 16. Warnings about deceptive dividers. Warnings about deceptive dividers. Those of you who are real men, you've been coming to the men's Bible study on Thursday nights for quite some time now. And if that means that's the group of real men, that tells you what you guys who don't come on Thursday are. But we've been going through Romans verse by verse for months. We've seen lots of doctrinal truth. In fact, it's full of doctrine and theology. In fact, if truth be told, most major revivals and resurgences of the Christian faith on this earth, most of them started with a fresh and a new look into Romans and the understanding we are here today as Protestants who came through the Reformation because one man ventured to study Romans for himself and not just listen to what the papistry told him. And in doing that, he uncovered doctrine after doctrine after doctrine that man had forgotten about in their own traditions and religions. So we're studying through Romans, and I can't get out of it in my own personal study. I spend many hours a week looking at it for the lesson, but I also find myself going there for so many other things just to inquire and just to learn. In chapter 16 today, we're going to see this. Paul starts chapter 16. And he's really closing what many scholars call his magnum opus, his theological work of art here. And he closes it with some greetings and some salutations and some encouragements. But then in the midst of these encouragements and these greetings and mentioning people by name and prodding them along in the faith, it's almost as if Paul as a lightning bolt hit him, and and I believe he did. I believe the Holy Spirit said, don't forget this, Paul, as you're closing this out. Don't forget to remind them about this. Because for 15 chapters now, you have been teaching them sound biblical doctrine, and he had. He started there in Romans chapter 1, defining for them what the true gospel was, that it was a righteousness from God apart from the law. And he goes and he talks about then after that the doctrine of the depravity of man. And then we see him go into the fact that even though we are depraved and we cannot by any means ever accomplish salvation by doing good things. There is salvation by grace through faith in Christ and that alone. And he preaches the strong doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And he gives that discourse of that and then he continues on and he talks about not just justification by faith in Christ, he talks about sanctification because of faith in Christ. And we see he continues on Romans and throughout Romans giving rich theological doctrine before he goes into the practices of it there in chapter 12 and encouraging us to present ourselves, our bodies as living sacrifices to lay ourselves down each day so that the Spirit can live in us and control us and mold us and make us into people of obedience and holiness. And then we see here as we get to the end and He draws all this to a close here. In verse 17, it seems as if He takes a turn. He's giving all these greetings and all these salutations. And then all of a sudden in verse 17, He says, oh wait a second. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. What teaching? Romans chapter 1 all the way to chapter 15. He's just giving them a doctrinal discourse. He says, be careful because I, 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 God has just prompted me to pin this, and I'm going to write it down in the middle of all these greetings and all these salutations. I'm going to remind you again that there are going to be people who are going to come after such truth. When he calls division. I urge you to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Verse 18 says, For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. 19 says, Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you but I want you to be wise about what is good. He says, I've heard that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but let me remind you, be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Then he goes on into more greetings and salutations as if he had to put this here right now because he did. And the reason that he had to do this is because he's talking and he's warning us about deceptive dividers. How many of you understand, when God is moving, Satan is trying to cause division and dissension. I told the men, I've told many of you before, you always want to know, what am I going to preach next? And I said, for a little while, I just want to to take some time and just freestyle. I just want to preach on some things that have been on my heart. And this has been on my heart for a long time, the fact that the enemy is causing such division among the body of Christ in our day and age. We are divided over things that we should never even be discussing. However, we're divided over those things. And I want to remind you and show you, some of you already know this, you've already seen this, but I want to give you some clarity of what division looks like in the body of Christ in 2021. And you'll see that it's very true and it's very evident. The first thing we see is this non-biblical narratives. We are divided in the church over non-biblical narratives. I hope everyone understands what a narrative is. It is that thing in which you see the world through. Your opinion. And these narratives take all sorts of shapes, sizes, colors, flavors, whatever it is. And so what happens in today's modern church is people begin to believe in their narrative even though it has no scriptural representation or no scriptural reasoning. Many people today are seeing everything through their non-biblical lenses of their particular narrative. Uh, They approach church like this. I like this church, but it doesn't meet my required needs or, or my required views according to my narrative, not according to the Word of God. But according to my narrative, what I think, what I want, what I feel, we hear all these words in describing someone's narrative. Then they make, or they really don't make these statements out loud to anyone's face because that would be courageous. They usually make these posts on social media. Because we live in a day where the coward thrives in causing division behind the scenes through a computer, through a handheld device, through some type of app or social media. What they do is they usually post something and, and cause division in a body that usually they don't even belong to. Why? Because of their narrative. They make negative remarks, give criticism, give bad reviews. Right? All the ultimate thing is if you get a bad review, I tell you what, you preach Jesus long enough, you're gonna get a bad review. But they stand in the place of always trying to prove their narrative. Just because this particular body doesn't agree with my narrative, I don't want to be a part of that neither should any of you. And so they cancel you, right? They unfriend you. They unlike you. And they grab a hold of the liberal ideology of the cancel culture all the while claiming Christianity. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus didn't cancel me when I didn't have it all together. they'll be quick to cancel you for their non-biblical narratives. They've even actually in recent times, in case you haven't noticed, caused division, even church splits, and even churches not reopening because of the simple thing as a piece of cloth covering your mouth and your nose that we now affectionately refer to as a mask. I want to help you all. There's nothing in Scripture that says, Thou shalt not wear a mask. But there's not also anything in Scripture that says thou shalt wear a mask. In fact, what is sad about this little thing that everybody is causing division about, it's solved very simply. Just like this. Watch. You want to wear a mask? Wear one. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't. Those of you who want to wear a mask, don't look down on the people who don't. Those of you who don't, don't look down on the people who do. Because if you're as ugly as me, a mask is going to come in handy. But I'll tell you this, the Bible is silent about mask wearing. And I want to help you so that you don't get into these non-biblical narrative arguments. If the Bible is silent about it, shut your mouth. There is no reason to speak on it if the Bible is silent because what you're going to do is you're going to inadvertently begin to take Scripture out of context to try to prove your narrative. And I will tell you this. You can find nowhere in Scripture where they wore masks because of some pandemic in 2021. It doesn't cover that. In fact, I promise you this. Jesus walked up to a leper who was highly contagious and He put His arms around Him and He hugged Him and He touched Him healed him. We argue over non-biblical narratives. The second thing that causes division in the church these days are those arguments over the non-essentials. The non-essentials. Just as the narrative was something that was unbiblical, the the, the non-essential is something that is biblical, but it's not foundational. I want you to understand the difference between foundational and secondary and tertiary issues. For instance, there are those people who will cause division in the body over eschatological opinion. That means this, your opinion on the end times. Do you know why there are so many differing opinions on the end time? Because Jesus said, no man will know the day or the hour. It is not for you to know exactly what is going to happen. So any time when you become dogmatic about your end times prophecy or your end time eschatological views or your interpretations of the things in the end, when you become dogmatic about that, you run a risk of causing division over non-essentials. For instance, the person comes and says, well, I would go to that church. There's lots of people being saved. There's lots of people growing in Christ. But that preacher is pre trib rapture. Or he's not. Or he's mid-trib. Or he's post-trib. Or he doesn't believe in a rapture at all. Here's the thing. Whatever you want to believe about eschatology, let me just clear it all up for you. Jesus wins in the end. Let's stop dividing over it. It's silly. Because it's a secondary issue, but there are people, and they'll write bad stories about you online. I promise. He's somewhat dispensational. Yes, he is. So what? What? He still believes in a rapture. Yes, he does. But it's secondary. Here's the thing. You cannot believe in a rapture, and that's okay with me. I'm not even going to argue about it. I'm going to show you why I believe what I believe according to Scripture. You can show me why you believe what you believe according to Scripture. Now, here's the thing. If you have nothing to bring, well, that's kind of a waste of time for me, isn't it? But bring what you have in Scripture. Have you noticed this? The people who like to argue about Scripture the most know the least. Huh? They know the least. I'm like, where did you get your Bible degree? YouTube. Sweet. Right? Because everybody's been trapped at home because of COVID. Now everybody's a theologian who's been studying YouTube. And let me just tell you this. If you want to be a YouTube theologian, you can get everything you want from YouTube and still get nothing at the end of the day. So we look at these non-essentials that people are causing division. Dividing the church, splitting the church, telling people, don't go to that church. I heard the preacher say it. He believes in a literal millennial reign. So do you, we just disagree on the timing. Those things don't matter. They're secondary, even tertiary issues. Right? You wear a blue jean skirt. But guess what? It's okay to wear pants. There's nowhere in Scripture that says thou shalt not wear pants. But here's the thing, if you want to wear a blue jean skirt, hey, love denim. Never goes out of style. But if you don't, it's a secondary, probably even a tertiary issue that really has no significance when it comes down to our purpose and our message, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and souls coming to know Him. We argue over non-essentials. Stop arguing over non-essentials. Right Don't be a Facebook theologian. People love to start a non-essential argument that calls division in the church. We're going to see in a moment where these people come from. We've seen the non-biblical narratives, the non-essentials, and then we see this the nonsense, the nonsense. And I like how Paul words this in Second Timothy chapter two verse 23. He says, "Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid." arguments because you know they produce quarrels he's writing to the church and he's saying you're arguing over stupid needless things things that don't matter foolish needless stupid arguments folks understand this: some people just go around looking for a fight they love to start arguments unfortunately again social media has given them a platform i love this when somebody says I'm not trying to start an argument, insert argument. You are a liar and the truth is not in you. You are trying to start an argument. Right? They say, I don't want any comments on this. No, of course you don't. You just want to be right. And you want everyone to think you're right when you're dreadfully wrong. But I'm not trying to start an argument. Yes, you are. If you weren't trying to start an argument, you'd just hash this out in your own brain. But some people just like to start trouble. It's been going on since the church was founded. I assure you of that. It's not going to stop until Jesus calls us home. And so as we look at this, see that there are nonsense and nonsensical arguments that churches and people, believers, are divided on. It needs to stop. It needs to stop. There there is no reason for us to let the world laugh at us any longer about arguing amongst ourselves about things that are stupid and do not matter seems like you could use some of that energy, maybe some of that typing, to share the Gospel with the lost and the hurting who need to hear the truth that we stand on. So We see the non-biblical narratives and non-essential narratives. All you young people, because of the nonsense that we see in, in these arguments, you can go home and you can say, I can say stupid now, Mom, because Paul used it, and he did. That's exactly what he meant. He meant it's stupid worthless. It's a waste of time. But then we see this in the church. We see division because of non-Christian teachings. Division because of non-Christian teachings. Some teachings are just unbiblical. Please understand that. And there are those angels who are posing as people of light who are introducing doctrines of demons into the church constantly to cause division. Now church, let me tell you this. This is when we stand. This is when we stand up. This is when we fight. When they come in with non biblical things shaking or attempting to shake even the foundations of the doctrines that we are founded upon. Non-Christian teachings causing division. What non-Christian teachings ought to do in the church, you know what they ought to do? They ought to cause the true believer to unify under the truth of the word of God. They ought to cause us not to pick sides. I'm on his side, or I'm on his side. You remember that debate in Scripture? Some said that they were of Paul. Some said that they were of Paulus. Some said that they were of Cephas. Paul poses a question. Is Christ divided? No, this is nonsense. We're of Christ, and that's what matters. What matters is the truth of what His Word teaches. And so we have a lot of non-Christian teachings that have slipped in, these demonic heresies that bring so much destruction into the church. I want to help all of you. Can I help you real quick? Anybody want help? Don't believe everything you hear. Huh? That's how cults get started. It is. Don't believe everything you hear. Watch this. Don't believe everything you hear me say. I make as much effort as a man can make to back up the things that I say with the sound doctrine and and, and with the Word of God. But, don't take what I say to the bank because even though the Word of God is inerrant, Kirk Hall is errant. I'm flawed by my own sin. I may see something wrong. And I welcome the Word of God to correct me. So you get in the Word and find out is what he's saying true? Because if you're going to have an argument, you better have an argument from Scripture. We see these non-Christian teachings that slip in. Paul's warning about division in any way shape, or form. And He attaches it to people. He says these dividers. These people who cause division. What's interesting about them, they're doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus prayed in the lives of His believers. He prayed this in John chapter 17. He says, My prayer is not for for them alone. Talking about the original 12 in verse 20. I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as You are in Me and I am in You. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. You know what he's saying? He's praying for unity. Why? So that the world will see the Gospel. Did you know this? The world sees all of our divisions and arguments over things that aren't important. Verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory that You gave Me that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in Me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that You sent Me and have loved them even as You have loved Me. It's very important, Christians, are you listening? That we don't let the the, the non-biblical narratives and non-essentials and the nonsense and the non-Christian teachings continue to cause division in the body of Christ today. Why? There are lost people who are in need of the Gospel. They're not going to come to Christ watching us self-destruct. They're not going to come to Christ watching us be divided over things that don't matter. Paul is warning the church here. Please understand that when we read this, this this is a warning that he inserts in the middle of all of his goodbyes and his hellos, and he says, wait, there's one more warning. The warning is this, that there is a real enemy who comes against the church. He is a divider. And he uses all those as tools who are willing to cause division for him. So let's look at this. you're taking notes, write these things down. Number one, Paul is warning us about the danger of these dividers. The danger of the dividers. Why? Because these dividers bring dissension. They cause division. That's why he calls them what he calls them, those who cause division. They bring that dissension with them. They disrupt the unity that we just read in John 17 that Christ prayed for. They do this in an effort to dismantle the saints, to dismantle us, to make us powerless or weak. If you don't believe that's what the enemy is trying to do, look at the weak American church. And we are weak, not because we have united under the Word of God and united under the Gospel. We are weak because we are arguing and divided about things that don't matter. I'm see, there's a danger there. There's a danger in those dividers. Their efforts are to cause dissension and to break up the body of believers. Oh, did you know that there are people right now who never want the church to reassemble? They don't want the church to reassemble, right? They have this idea. We're the church everywhere we go. No, you're not. The church is not a building. I would agree. The church is not an individual. Did you know that? There's an individual head of the church, and he is Christ. The church is a body of many parts. that has to function together. And did you know this? The word ekklesia in the Greek, where we get the word church, you know what it means? It means assembly so it means this. It means that the church is to assemble. Why? Because when we assemble, we can stand unified in the things that we need to stand unified in. We're going to talk about those things in a moment. But they love to cause division, these dividers, and distort the truth. He says this. He says they put obstacles in your way. They bring distortion. First they bring dissension. Then they bring distortion, right? We distort the truth into something else. The Greek word for this word obstacle is Scandal. Skandalin. Now I'm not real smart, but it didn't take me very long to realize that's the same word we get our English word scandal from. The skandalin, that, that these people bring in these scandalous doctrines. They bring them in. Why? To draw you out of true doctrine. Oh, the enemy would want nothing more than to bring in scandalous doctrines because that's what he's talking about here when he says obstacles. These dividers come in. They cause dissension. And then they do it like this. They say, I know a little something that y'all don't know. I have a new revelation. I want to help all of you out. A wise preacher once said this, if, if it's new, it's not true. If it's new, it's not true. We're talking about 4,000 years of manuscript here. You're not going to figure out anything new." It has all been revealed in God's due time to those who He desires to reveal it to. There's no new revelation. The Scriptures have spoken. But what happens is these people come in and they like to distort with these scandalous doctrines. They introduce unbiblical viewpoints. That would be blatant heresy. Isn't it interesting that the American church is the only church in history who hasn't stood up against heresy? We just embrace it. We love it. Right? we got something new and exciting. Man, I was tired of all that old Jesus went to the cross and was buried and he, he died and was buried and rose again. I need something exciting to thrill me. That doesn't thrill you. That thrills me. It's sad that the American church, we don't even talk about standing against heresy. We act as if it doesn't exist. Can I tell you all the heresies of old still exist? They just wear different names. They wear different names. And they're all pointing you to a false God and a false system of belief to distract you while you are on your way to hell and to cause division in the body of Jesus Christ. So we see that there is danger in these dividers. They bring dissension, they bring distortion, through introducing unbiblical viewpoints, blatant heresy, but they also do this. Not only do they introduce unbiblical viewpoints, which we know as heresy, they also ignore sound biblical doctrine. Right? They just completely erase them as if they're not there. I I love that. That's the modern trend on YouTube to do that. Just... Hey, read a certain section, jump over the passage you don't like, and get back to where you like. it's better that way, isn't it? So what they do is they ignore sound biblical doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. We're going to be talking about Timothy a lot today. You might just want to put a bookmark there. 2 Timothy Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says this in the first part of that verse. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Some of your translations say, will not endure. But you're not going to put up with it. Why would we have to endure or put up with sound doctrine? Here's why. Because sound doctrine goes against everything that we feel. It goes against everything in our humanity. That's what you get nowadays. When people want to refute sound doctrine, they'll say, well, I see what you're saying, but I feel. Can I remind you what feelings got Eve? What feelings got Adam? What feelings got Moses? What feelings got Abraham? What feelings did to David? What feelings have done to Kirk Hall as I felt in my flesh that something was right when it was actually dreadfully wrong and it was offensive to a holy God? So these people base everything on their feeling. They ignore sound biblical doctrine. There will come a time, he says, men will not put up with, they won't endure sound doctrine. Are we living there? No, if you're sound in your doctrine, what do they do? They cancel you. You're closed-minded. I love this one. You're a fundamentalist. You're, 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 you're old school. No, I'm just reading the black and white text and here's what it says. You're like, like, you're like a Puritan. Thank you. Thank you. I love their theology and their doctrine. They stood on the Word of God and they did not compromise. And that's why they saw a great revival. I'll tell you this, when the people of God stand on sound doctrine and the Word of God, you too will see a great revival. We see the danger of these dividers. These dividers introduce scandalous doctrinal heresy, cause all sorts of division and distortion and even erase Scripture to fit their cause. The reason that they do this is the second thing. It's because He gives us a description of these dividers. We've seen the danger of the dividers. Look at the description of the dividers in verse 18. This is pretty simple. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Naive people, people who don't know the word, right? That's how cults get started. Do you understand that? Cults are started because they go after a group of people who are not sound biblically. You know how I know this? because I've talked to a few Jehovah's Witnesses in my time, and here's the deal. They have marked my house, and they do not come by any longer. They don't. I'm never ugly to them. I've never been mean to them. I just say, here's what the Word of God says. What do you do with that? How do you handle this? Here's what it says. Here's what it means. I had a Jehovah's Witness one time said, well, I'm going to I'm going to just congratulate you because I've never talked. I was a young man, but I studied the Word of God. He said, I've never talked to anyone your age who knew the Scripture as well as you do. I said, isn't that sad? Isn't that sad that you thought I was an easy target because I was young, but I knew the Word of God, and in knowing the Word of God, they could not bring in their unsound doctrine into my home. You know what I found out years ago, and I don't know if it's still true, the number one converted person to Jehovah's Witness was a Southern Baptist. They didn't know the Word. Oh, they had the Word all around them. They had access to the Word, but they didn't learn it for themselves. So we see the dangerous dividers, and he describes them. He says they're not serving Christ, but their own appetites, Like smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. The description of these dividers are self-serving, self-motivated by their own appetites. That word appetites goes back to our flesh. You know what he's saying about these people? He said they're driven by their flesh. right? They want to sell you a book, even if it's full of all kinds of heresy. It's full of all kinds of dissension. They want you to buy the book. And the more exciting the title and the more exciting the cover, they know you're going to buy it. And if you buy it, they're going to get rich. And that's what they want. They want to fulfill their selfish desires while causing division in the body of Christ. That's how they sell books. I found out something new. Here it is. No, you didn't. You bought into some type of heresy. And you need to be very careful in believing these people. They're self-serving, motivated by their own fleshly appetites. And he goes on and he says they're smooth talking. He says with smooth talk. Smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Let's talk about that smooth talk and flattery real quick. We get from that, the Greek word, the original says this. That word, smooth talk, flattery, What that means in the Greek is a word called eulogia. Eulogia. What's interesting about that word eulogia, again, I'm not a real smart guy. I can pick up really quick. That sounds a lot like eulogy, doesn't it? And we know this, that we eulogize people at their funeral. And we don't go to a person's funeral and tell everyone the truth. Do we? We only tell them the good stuff. We only tell them the stuff that we want people to hear. Isn't that interesting? I, I I don't know about you, but I've been to funerals before where I sat down and I listened to the eulogy and go, man, I think I'm at the wrong place. Because I've known this person a long time. They're not what they're saying they were. They picked out a few good things and they really majored on those good things. Look, I, I want my eulogy to be this. Rotten scoundrel, saved by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ through His blood sacrifice. This guy, Kirk, had nothing to offer you except this, and then preach the Gospel. But we know that a eulogy tells people all the good that they want to hear about that person. He's, He's saying this. This is what these dividers do. They eulogize people. They tell you the good that you want to hear, right? In big stadiums that used to be basketball arenas where they sell lots of books. And tell people how wonderful they are all the way to hell. They eulogize them. You're good. You're smart. You're courageous. No, you're not. You're a scoundrel. You're a wretch. You're a sinner. You're awful. You're dirty. You're filthy in comparison to the holiness of God. You have no hope of eternal life in a relationship with God except for the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ being applied to your life. And then and only then will you be cleansed of your sin and acceptable to a holy God. Oh, but you're good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. The description of these dividers, those self-serving, smooth-talking dividers, eulogizing all who they meet, telling them how wonderful they are. You do know this, right? Hopefully we've grown to this point. That a true friend is not just only going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you need to hear. I'm thankful that I have men in my life who will tell me what I need to hear. I'm thankful for men like Bobby Clark who I served under and learned so much from. He didn't mind telling me what I needed to hear. He didn't mind if it hurt my feelings at all. He would tell me straight up. And I'm thankful for men like that in my life. He said, man, I appreciate what you preach, but you missed this part right here. Don't ever miss that again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But know instead we have people who eulogize people and tell them everything that they want to hear. 2 Timothy Paul continues there. He talks about these people. We saw in the first part there in chapter 4, verse 3, he said, for a time will come when men will not endure or put up with sound doctrine. He says, but instead, here's the flip side of that, but instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Tell us something that we like. Tell us something that makes us feel good. It will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So everybody wants to believe a myth, right? They do. It's, it's interesting in our society. Everybody wants to believe a fairy tale, but it's hard to convince people of the truth. And it is the truth that will set you free. Don't you think for a second that the enemy is resting here. He wants to divide you from the truth so that he can keep you into the, in the midst of all of your fairy tales. He describes these dividers. Self-serving, smooth-talking, and flattering. They're satanically deceptive. They are. They're satanically deceptive. How do they have the power to deceive so many? Because they follow and they serve the father of lies. That's what Jesus called Satan there in John chapter 8, verse 44. He tells him plainly that Satan is the father of lies. So we know this. If they are walking in deception, they are walking in lies. And they are walking in lies because they have not yet been set free by the truth. Because if you are in the light, John said this in 1 John, it's impossible for you to walk in darkness again. He's talking about the fact that you have been brought to a place of truth. And the truth has set you free and you're never going to be in bondage to the deception in the darkness ever again. These dividers described to a T by the Apostle Paul here are seen all around us, aren't they? Or heard or read on your social media. Then we see this, he moves on in verse 19 to the defense against the dividers. What do we do about this? Could we all agree that the church is under attack and has been under attack since Jesus actually ascended into heaven? They've been under attack, and there's been evil trying to cause division in the church. How many of you would say, yes, my whole life I have seen it in the church. We've seen church splits. We've seen deacons' meetings where, man, they're throwing their coats off and ready to fist it up and fight it out. It shouldn't be so. Why were they fighting, Pastor? Well, one wanted brown carpet and the other one wanted blue carpet. It was a crucial deal. I was in a deacon's meeting once where they started fighting because one group of people wanted to give me a raise and the other group of people didn't want to give me a raise. And I just wanted to say, I'll be poor, just stop fighting! Just stop fighting! There's lots of people who need Jesus. Don't worry about me. He's the one taking care of me anyway. Anyway. You say, are you serious? Yeah, I can't make stuff like that up. The defense against the dividers. What do we do in defense against these folks? Look what he says here. He gives us the clue. Everyone has heard about your obedience. Your obedience to what? To the truth. So I am full of joy over you. He says, I'm hearing about your obedience and that thrills me. But I I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. How do we do that? Through the Word of God. We know what is good and we know what is evil through the Word of God as we study the Word of God and as we walk in obedience to the truth of the Word of God, we then carry around with us division prevention. He is telling them that our defense against the dividers is unity in our position. Our doctrinal position. Uh, There was a time in church history where there were synods and there there were conclaves and there were meetings where, where men of God and theologians would get together and decide here's what we believe and this is why we believe it. Here's the Scripture to back it up anything outside of that, they would deem it heresy and say that it's not biblical, and they would take their stand against it so that that division would not be brought in to the local bodies. They would say, here's what we believe. You can read the Westminster Confession of Faith. You can read the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. You can realize this, that there were men who were seeking the Word of God to establish true and sound doctrine to defend against the divisions and the heresies that were attacking the church. And so as we look at these things, the defense against dividers is unity in our position, our doctrinal position. Let me say this. I know when we say the word doctrine, a lot of y'all people, you turn your ear off and you say, no, I want to hear about things that apply to me. Because I can do this. I can teach a lesson on the family and everybody come. I can teach a lesson on marriage and everybody come. I can teach a lesson on here's how you should diet according to the Scriptures and all of you would come. I could post a sign out there today. Miracle and healing service tonight. Everybody's going to come. But if I posted, come find out true doctrine so that we may stand against the division that's coming against the church, it'd probably just be me and my family and a few others. Because people think this doctrine's not that important. Oh, isn't Satan crafty at getting you to think that? Isn't he sly at getting you to think that it's not really a big deal what you believe? Let me tell you, this is bigger than a big deal. We must come to a place of unity in our doctrinal positions. This is foundational truth. We cannot veer from foundational truth. 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you don't believe doctrine is important, here's what he tells Timothy verse 16. Paul says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch it closely. He goes on to say, persevere in them. In what? Your life and your doctrine. Stand fast. Stay the course in truth. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You think doctrine's not important? It's not if you don't care about eternity, but it is if you do care about eternity. He said sound doctrine's going to save you and your hearers. Stand firm in it. I've heard preachers when I'm flipping through the TV get on that bandwagon. I don't know why the church is so caught up in doctrine. I don't know why you would veer people or steer people away from sound doctrine unless, of course, you were trying to teach unsound doctrine and then they would sniff you out for the dog that you really are. We see sound doctrine and truth and obedience to that truth brings unity in our position. I told you before, sound doctrine doesn't divide. Sound doctrine brings unity. We sit down and say, here's the Word of God. We teach the Word of God. Here's what it says. And in that, unity in the body of Christ comes. And you say, yeah, but I've seen people take a doctrinal stand and people leave. They went out from us because they were not of us. There's a time when people leave and they define for you that they were not really of the body. The body is going to agree on foundational doctrines of the truth of the Word of God. Paul, again, speaking to Timothy about that unity and position, our doctrinal position, to be unified in the Word. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, he tells Timothy to do this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. He said to that young pastor, make sure it is of utmost importance that you correctly handle the word of truth. Why? Because it is your defense against all of the division and all of the deception that is going to come against you. Don't be foolish to think that it's not there, Timothy. Prepare for it. We see unity in position, our doctrinal position. The fact that the Word of God is inerrant and infallible. Oh, there are lots of people today. It's a new movement. You know what they like to say? They like to say the Word is infallible, but it's not inerrant. And this is the stance that they take. They say this. They say that it's infallible because it achieves its purpose. But, you know, sinful men had their hand in this. Oh, did they? I think if I remember reading correctly, it was not their hand in it. But it was the Holy Spirit who prompted them to write these things down. And as He prompted them, they wrote it down exactly as the Spirit led them without error and without fault. And I'm here to tell you this, you can't claim infallibility without inerrancy. It can't be infallible if there's an error. It is inerrant. And because it is inerrant, it will never fail. You walk with the Lord long enough and you walk in his word long enough, and you'll know this. the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture is more real than me standing here in this pulpit today. because it is inerrant and it is infallible, and we must unite in our position and our doctrines according to the Word of God, unified in our Christian beliefs. Titus chapter one verse nine says this, it says he, speaking of the pastor there, giving qualifications, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as, as it has been taught. What's the trustworthy message? The gospel. So that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. Watch this. And refute those who oppose it. When these dividers come along, they are to be refuted. They are to be told, no, that is heresy. It is not scriptural. And A, you need to see the Scriptures for what they are. Or B, you no longer need to be a part of this fellowship. You said, well, you're not going to grow a very big church like that. It's not my job to grow churches. Nowhere did he just command Titus to grow a church. He said, you stay to the Gospel and you stay to sound doctrine and God's going to do what God alone can do these poor pastors who are deceived nowadays thinking it's their job to grow a church. You're going to wear yourself out. What you need to do is you need to get in your study and you need to open up the book. You need to devote yourself to the true gospel of Jesus Christ and devote yourself to sound doctrine and you let God handle the results as you preach unapologetically the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of truth. We see the defense against the dividers obedience to the Word of truth. He says so that you know what's right or good and what's wrong or evil as Scripture defines it. We see it brings unity and position, but it also brings unity and purpose when we approach the Word of God like that, doesn't it? Unity and purpose. I wish the church would be united in purpose even though we might agree on some secondary or tertiary issues. I wish we would be united in purpose and that purpose is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15, just before this, Paul says this in verse 5, of chapter 15, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. He's asking for that. He's praying for the Romans as well. As you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's an importance in following the gospel of Jesus Christ and in following the purpose that you have been saved to follow, and that is to glorify God in your life. So when we have the message of Scripture correct and we have biblical doctrine correct, it brings unity in our purpose. Unified under the banner of the Gospel. I wish churches would get unified under the banner of the Gospel. Stop worrying about things that have nothing to do with the Gospel. It's called being eternal minded. It's called not worrying about this kingdom and this life but worrying about those people who will perish and who will not experience an eternal kingdom because you forsook them in hearing the truth of the Word of God. Preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our purpose. People ask me all the time. They say, Kirk, is there anything else? I mean, all you do is preach the Gospel. It's all I know to preach. What else is there to preach? That's why we gather. That's why we leave this place and go out into the world. It is to point others to Jesus Christ to come on Sunday morning and to remind us again to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and to rejoice in Him for saving us. And it is so that we may go out empowered by the Holy Spirit to see a lost and dying world and to present to them our purpose. And our purpose is the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the only gospel, please pay attention to me, that has the power to save sinful men. Now, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel as Paul said in Romans there in the first chapter. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation unto everyone who believes. That's our purpose. The sad thing is, is the church has forgotten their purpose and so these dividers can come in and give you any purpose that they want you to believe. Yet our purpose is the Gospel. It is to unify under the message of the Gospel. To put our secondary and tertiary issues aside, our non-essential arguments aside, I don't really care what color the carpet is. I know what color the blood of Jesus Christ was. It doesn't matter if the carpet gets applied. Is the blood applied? Has the blood been applied to your sin? Have you been set free? Have you been forgiven? Has your relationship that you did not have with God been restored because of the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you saved? That's what's important, isn't it? I know we live in a modern church age where we want it to be a little more exciting than the story of Jesus. We've all heard that. We just saw it at Easter, didn't we? We had to have something exciting. Right? And all these churches jumped on the bandwagon of making Easter more exciting than it was last year. Can I tell you this? The excitement of Easter is the same excitement that has been since 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked out of that whom. He's the excitement of the resurrection. We don't just celebrate Him here one time a year. We celebrate Him every single week. Why? He's our purpose. That's why we do what we do. We do what we do because of love. The truth in love. In case you forget, that's what we're supposed to do. Why do we tell a sinner to repent? Because we love the sinner. And we know this. That there is condemnation for all those who do not believe in Christ just as there's freedom from condemnation to all those who do believe in Christ. Go read John chapter 3. He makes it very clear for them. And we preach to them, you must be born again so that you can believe. There must be the Spirit regenerating you unto salvation. And we preach that. We pray that. The Spirit be free to draw sinners unto repentance and redemption in Christ. So I pray this for you today if you're here today and you're not in Christ. Pray that today the Holy Spirit would draw you out of darkness and into light, that you would be saved by his glorious grace and his mercy that he showed you at the cross, that you would be forever changed in this life, and that you would be assured this morning of the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin that he died to bring you. There's a defense against these dividers, and it is the truth. The truth brings unity in position, our doctrinal positions, and unity in our purpose. I would that Christians would rally around. The truth, so that they would know what is good and what is evil. Why is that important? It's really important in our society, isn't it? Because your kids are growing up with no clue of what good and evil are. They have no clue that they are in direct opposition to each other, that they can't intermingle. We talked about that last week when we talked about light and darkness. The generation that's coming up, there are no absolute truths. There's nothing that is black and white, everything is gray. And we, as people of God, must unite under the truth to defend. The division that the enemy is bringing even in your own family. Last thing. We've seen the danger of the dividers, the description of the dividers, the defense against the dividers. Let's look at the destruction of the dividers. Those who cause division, here's their destruction. He's going to unveil for us who's behind all of this. Are you watching? He He doesn't change subjects here. He's still talking about the fact that there are people who are bringing division into the church. An obstacle. He says in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's giving them hope. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He says here that God will soon crush Satan. He is attaching Satan to that pronoun up above those who cause division. Do you remember when Jesus spoke to Peter, and he said, get behind me, you bad little guy. It's not what he said. He said, get behind me, Satan. He got Peter's attention, I assure you, when he said that. I hope this morning that I get the attention of all those who would cause division in the body of Christ. He calls you Satan, and he warns you that soon you will be crushed. exactly and according to the Word of God. Prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, way back in the garden when God spoke to the serpent and He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike His heel. People would say, what does that mean? That God is going to crush the enemy under our feet? I'll tell you right now, I don't really even know what that means but I know it fulfills what happened there in Genesis chapter 3 when He said, man, and we know this now, redeemed man is going to crush the enemy under his feet because of the victory that Jesus Christ has brought to redeemed man. Are you thankful for that this morning? That this enemy that we struggle with who's constantly causing division one day will be crushed underfoot. All praise and honor and glory go to the Lord. It's prophesied destruction of the enemy, but it's also permanent destruction. Did you know this? When God finally destroys the enemy, it is for good. The end of division among believers. The end of the attack and the assault that comes upon us. The attack and the assault that comes upon truth. It will end forever. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. That's for all you people who don't believe in a literal hell. Where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Oh, it is a permanent destruction of the dividers. Aren't you excited about that? That though we have to endure division in this life and, and though we do have a defense against that, which is the truth of the Word of God while we are, we are here standing against those divisions, we know this. One day they will end. They will end because of the victory of Jesus Christ. So I know what your question is. Kirk, this was a rather different message. I hope it was. I hope it was a little different this morning. I hope that it wakes some of you up to the fact that there is a real devil who does really use people to cause division in the body of Christ. And I hope you know this. I hope it drives you to your knees in prayer. I hope it drives you to sit down and study the Word of God. I hope it drives you to doctrinal knowledge. I hope it drives you to understanding the true Gospel. As many people don't, you can ask a room full of people who claim to know Christ, tell me the Gospel. And it's cricket. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without His death, His burial, and resurrection, there would be no life. It is the fact that He called me out of darkness and into light. It is the fact that Ephesians says, I was dead in my sin, but I was made alive in Christ Jesus. It is a work of God's grace and His grace alone, and I am thankful for that this morning that He has graciously saved me. Do you hear what I'm telling you? That 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross. Why? For a sinner just like me who was the worst of the worst. And He died so that I could be forgiven and so that I could be set free. And let me say this to you this morning. If you hear His voice confirming that to you today, if He draws you out of darkness and into light, He will save you this very day through that same grace, that same mercy, through that same sacrifice. But why such a different message? Because the the, the message of the cross, the message of sound doctrine is being attacked constantly. The church is being divided by these evil dividers. We want to wreak havoc on the things of God. Or we can all look around at Key Life Fellowship. I would be a horrible pastor not to warn you, hey, there's lots of good things going on. When there's lots of good things going on and God is moving, you can be sure of this. The enemy hates it. And he wants to cause division. And he wants to bring brother against brother and sister against sister in Christ. And he wants to lure you away from the truths and the doctrine that hold us together. What do we do with it? Here's something to take with you. Why are these divisions so dangerous and why must we discuss these issues? Right? Because some of you, you turned me off the moment I said doctrine. I'm sad that you did. I'm sad that you did because you could have learned so much this morning. But I wanted to know how it applies to me. It applies to you like this. Satan's trying to bring division in your life. Some of you, your homes are divided right now. Husband against wife, wife against husband, children against parents. Oh, you're the church and he's causing division. How is he causing division? Because you're not standing on the truth of the Word of God and obedience to the scripture. Because doctrine's not important to you because I'm not a preacher, I'm just a dad. You ought to be teaching your kids sound doctrine. You ought to be teaching your kids the Gospel. Oh, but there's division all around that he's causing, isn't there? Why is this important? Because, write these down, I'm done, I promise. It's important because divisions distract from our purpose. Divisions distract from our purpose. These non-essentials, these non-biblical narratives, these nonsensical arguments, and these non-Christian and non-biblical teachings—they distract us from our purpose. Our purpose is the gospel. We can get so caught up in so many other things that don't matter that we miss the main thing. I've been on staffs at many churches where I wonder, do we even know what the main thing really? is anymore for six months when we came here and we were praying about starting key life fellowship i wondered because i saw a church on every corner corner let me say this i saw a building on every corner so for six months i visited churches on sundays because i didn't have a church home all the while praying god why would you have me come back here start a church And I realize this, that the churches have been so divided that they don't even know what their purpose is anymore. They are distracted from their purpose. They think that their purpose is to entertain people. They think that their purpose is to, is, is to just have some social group. They think that their purpose is to do some, some kind of uh, ministry to fix social injustice. Can I tell you this? You're never going to fix all of the social injustices. The church is divided over that issue right now. That's silly. Preach the Gospel, and when Jesus Christ returns for His own, all social injustice for the kingdom will be done away with. That's why we long for Him. That doesn't mean don't love your neighbor and don't do for your neighbor. That's not what I'm saying either. We get so caught up in things that aren't our purpose. Jesus said it like this, go ye therefore into all the world, preaching the good news. Right? Right? making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And let me remind you, I'm with you always. That's our purpose. Divisions distract from that purpose, don't they? Divisions dilute the true Word of God. We get a watered-down version, right? Where we give our so-called spiritual thoughts and then we attach it to some out-of-context Scripture to try to make people happy as they're on their way to hell. Visions distort truth. The word is no longer seen as an errant or infallible or inspired by God. And if the word is no longer seen as an errant or infallible or inspired by God, it is a watered down version and it's not truth at all. I know this if you're a true child of God, there's an inward hunger in you for the real truth. Let me just say this: as your pastor, I commend you because. Uh, for, the, for the whole and for the most part, we at Key Life Fellowship, we want real biblical truth. And we will not compromise. And it is a joy to be your pastor. To know that I am pastoring, at least for the major part of it, a group of people who are hungry for the truth of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ going forward. There are many people, as we know, who cause division in order to dilute the truth. Or who dilute the truth because of their division. And thirdly, we see this divisions distort sound doctrine. Divisions distort sound doctrine. Again, let me remind you of this: if the Scripture speaks, speak. If it doesn't, don't entertain it. Don't entertain it. Don't get into the arguments. Don't get into the fights. Don't get into the disputes. Don't get into the division. All you're going to do is make enemies instead of having sound doctrine and standing on true scriptural principles in effort to bring. Unity. Oh, I know I'm just like you. I've had full rebuttals typed out on Facebook and had to go back and erase them before I hit sin. It's not worth getting involved in. It's only going to cause more division. And then we see number four divisions destroy Christian unity. Divisions destroy Christian unity, and we must be on guard against it. Why? Because we know it is the will of Jesus Christ. It is the will of God the Father for us to be one as they are one. It's His will. That's not hidden from us. And to not strive for unity is to not do His will. So make sure that as we look at these things, we understand the dangers of these divisions. They destroy Christian unity. We've got to realize they're real. And they're prevalent. The darker the days become, and the closer we get to Christ returning, I assure you of this, the worse it's going to get. It seems that every day that passes, there is a new argument, a new attempt at dividing Christians. Every day when I turn on the news or I listen to anything in the religious world, There's a new flavor of the week that Satan is trying to use to distract you from your true doctrinal position and your true gospel purpose. Divisions destroy the unity that we should have in Christ. Paul says this as I close. He said, watch out for these people. That's a sign of warning. That is, hey, danger ahead. Road out. You're going to fall off the cliff. Be aware of these people and watch out For them, it's an urgent warning. Don't listen to those who bring deceptive divisions from the devil. No matter how they're packaged. They can be packaged in all the ways that we've mentioned today, but no matter how they're packaged, be careful of them. And be careful not to become one of those deceptive dividers that's a tool in the hand of the enemy to cause division among the people of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is true. We thank You for salvation in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. God, I pray today that if there be someone here, a sinner who is not saved this morning, that if it be according to Your will, that Your Spirit would draw them out of darkness and into light today to receive forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, I pray for every believer who's here today. Maybe there's some who've fallen into the trap of division and murmuring and backbiting. Lord, I pray today that You convict them of their sin. That they would repent of that sin. That they would be unified in the truth of the Word of God and the purpose of the Gospel. God, I pray for this body. As we know You're doing great things, Lord, we know this, that there's an enemy who loves to distract us and who desires to destroy us. And that a tool that he uses is division and the dividers who are in his hands doing his work. God, I pray that You make us aware of those things that we would watch out for the dividers, That we would be on guard. That we would stand fast in Your Word and stand fast in the Gospel. That we would bring You glory in all that we do and say. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.